I was sleepwalking through life the whole time. I was just numb to it. I didn't care. Even when the judge gave me the sentence, like you can face in seven years and all that stuff, I didn't care until I had to look at the people I love face to face. everybody, welcome back to Tales from the Journey. I'm Stephanie Zamora and today we are here with Javon Wooden who is the founder of Live Not Loathe. And Javon has a incredible story of going through challenging chapters and big life transitions that have shaped him into the man that he is today doing the incredible work that he is doing supporting other people. So Javon, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for the lovely introduction, Stephanie. I really appreciate you sharing your platform with me and I'm excited to get it going. Me too. Let's start with you sharing just a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Sure. So as you said, my name is Javon Wooden. I am the founder and mindset coach at Live Not Loathe, where we help high achievers overcome limiting beliefs and design a life they don't need a vacation from. And we do that through mindset and perception transformation, right? Everything starts with mindset from the way you look at yourself to the, the goals you obtain to the confidence you have, all of that. And it all can change. If you feel like you're lacking that, that's what we focus on because we want everyone to live that beautiful life that they have in their minds. Absolutely. Mindset is so critical. I am so excited to have this conversation because if you look at your journey and everything that you've been through, it would be very easy to have a mm -hmm. negative mindset and just tons of limiting beliefs. Right. And the fact that you have mastered this for yourself and are teaching other people, I think is so incredible and important. And mindset for me, for everyone has played a tremendous role in me creating the life that I have and doing the work that I have, I'm doing today, because without it, I definitely would have been trapped in depression and anxiety and low self-worth. So I'm very excited for this conversation. Take us back. You've been through a lot in your life, so I'm going to let you pick the best starting point, but take us back to kind of the beginning of your journey, what life was like when you were younger and how it really shaped you. Yeah, for sure. Life started off kind of rough. <laughs> um, you know, I grew up very poor with myself and my siblings, and we just used to move a lot when I was younger, probably about up until about the age of maybe eight. We just bounced around from house to house. There was never, never any stabilization. I actually grew up in a polygamous household where my mom was wife number two of two. Uh, so that really impacted the way I viewed love as well. And just, you know, not understanding the concept of worth, of self-worth. Because I didn't have any money, I really thought that those kids who had the, the newest sneakers, the kids that were always fresh with the gear, you know, all that stuff was what mattered. And I looked at myself through that same lens. I was like, oh man, I'm wearing the same, you know, two pair of pants and five shirts throughout the school year. I'm not worth anything. Maybe these clothes are an indication of who I am. And that carried through really up and through my teenage years. And at the age of 17, I just was going down the wrong path and finally it caught up with me. I got arrested, faced seven years for an assault and robbery charge. So uh, while I was waiting in jail, awaiting trial, my mom and my sister actually came to visit me. And just seeing how they looked as we sat on that cold stool, like, and I looked around and I noticed how many people in there looked like me and how many of us were in there because we lacked belief in ourselves. How many of us in there were there because we didn't know there were other options. We didn't know that we could create opportunities and that money wasn't the only thing, wasn't the only resource. Actually, it was the last resource on the list of the most important. 
So when I was sitting there speaking with my mom and my sister, something came to me. I woke up that day. I was sleepwalking through life the whole time. I was just numb to it. I didn't care. Even when the judge gave me the sentence, like you can face in seven years and all that stuff, I didn't care until I had to look at the people I loved face to face. And I had never seen that look, no matter what we had gone through through our lives. That night, I really went back up to my cell and I just prayed. I prayed to God. I said, you know what? Get me out of this. If you can get me out of this, I know you probably hear this a lot, God, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean it, right? If you could get me out of here, I promise you, I will find a way to make a difference in my life. I will find a way to leverage some resources. And then I didn't know what that meant at the time. And as I was going through two weeks later, he got me out of jail. And I didn't have to do seven years. You know, the prosecutor had dropped the case. The, the witnesses had never showed. So it was just by the grace of God. And I really feel like he was just telling me, get your act together. <laughs> right. That, that's the last time I'm going to save you in that way. So throughout life, like I ended up graduating high school. And for a few years, I just worked two full-time jobs because I didn't want to go back to that life. And I didn't want to put myself in those positions where I disobeyed what God had told me. And then I go back and now the rest of my life is gone. You know, I can't get life or God forbid I get killed or whatever. So I was just like, I'm going to avoid that life altogether. I would rather work all day and all night than to go back there. And finally, I got enough of working two jobs at the age of 22, signed up for the military, the army. And this was really where I got to shine, <laughs> right? I had my opportunity to see what resources I was talking about when I was praying to God because I didn't know what it was. So in the military, you, you know, when you go through basic training, you get to lead, you get to see what you're made of pretty much. They always say breaking you down to build you up. I actually looked at it as the opposite because I was already broken down. So I just needed the building up part. You know, all this smoking and, and PT and all stuff was fun. That was easy because when you go through struggle in your life, things like that become cakewalk, right? You're like, oh, this is physical pain. This is fine. I can deal with that, right? The emotional pain and the mental pain hurt way more, right? So as I was going through that, I realized that I was good at motivating people. I realized that I was good at leading others and getting them to find what strengths they had so we can leverage those as we came together. I realized the power of collaboration, right? Because before that, when you're growing up in the hood, you don't want to trust anyone, really. Maybe you have your small circle, but you're afraid that they're going to use that against you and find a weakness and cheek in your armor, so to speak. So I realized the power of being vulnerable at that time. And I was still had when I came back, I still had some things to work on. Here I am learning these gifts, learning the power of this. But depression was hitting. So when the depression was hitting, I still had these negative thoughts. I had never worked on that part. And, you know, back then in the military, they weren't doing all the things they're doing now for mental health. Right? They were just like, hey, suck it up. Go drink some water. Take some aspirin no matter what's wrong with you. Oh, you broke your leg? Suck it up. Drink some water. Take some aspirin. You know, that type of stuff. So, so I had to really do some work mentally to say, you know what? Let me stop focusing on the negative stuff, you know, the trauma that I've been to, and let me start seeing what I can do to get better on that. Now, this took years. This was not an overnight process. And it really all came to a head in 2017. I joined the military in 2007. 10 years, Stephanie, <laughs> that it took me to figure this out. And what happened was I had deployed to Afghanistan and I came home. And it wasn't, it was about eight months later, eight months it took for that depression I spoke of earlier to come back with a vengeance, right? This was the worst I had ever felt. I was having like PTSD episodes where I was having the same nightmare over and over and over and over and over again. And like, I was just like, Hey, I'm ready to end it. I'm ready to call it. 
God, you know, I, I did my best. You know, now I just feel like I, I want to come home to you. You know, I'm ready. And that's how I felt. I had these suicidal ideations. So now I had to call my sister, my older sister. And I remember doing this and I was sitting on the couch just crying, bawling my eyes out, just apologizing for everything. Right. And some of it, I don't even I couldn't tell you what I, what I said. Because I was that deep. I wasn't even mentally there, right? I was physically in that space, but I was empty. And after that call, I was like, you know, what? I gotta get help, right? So I finally entered therapy. First time in therapy. And all this time, all these struggles, all this trauma. And this is how a lot of people do. A lot of people yeah. go through life and we're just, just pushing, just pushing, just pushing. But that pushing is doing more harm than good. So that therapy got me to be more vulnerable within my emotions. Before I thought I had to be Superman, right? I'm like, yo, I can't tell anyone I'm going through this. I can't tell anyone I'm not feeling well. I can't tell everyone I'm not okay, right? So I put on this facade and like in the darkest nights in a time when no one was there, I'm bawling my eyes out. I'm feeling so defeated, so defeated. So throughout the therapy, um, and I even got my own life coach, it just opened my eyes to the power of being vulnerable. It opened my eyes to the power of sharing your story, to the power of having that support system, all of those things. That's where I am now. Now I'm able to speak about these things. Now I'm able to help others who had limiting beliefs or lack of confidence or can't see that there are other opportunities and options out there. So that's why I'm so passionate about this today. Such an incredible journey. Wow. There's so much to talk about. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> but let's start with, because you you bring up a really important point, and I think this is true for a lot of people, but especially, and this has come up on the show several times, especially men in the masculine, where mm-hmm. you have to be strong, you have to be tough, like you can't show weakness, you can't admit that you're depressed. And, and so right. many men die from suicide for this reason. Yes. And that's starting to shift. There's a lot more conversation about mental health, especially with men and, again, masculine-oriented people who feel like they can't show weakness. I would love to hear a little bit more about, like you said, you talked to your sister, but what was the internal shift that happened that went from, because I've been there too, like I've experienced depression and suicidal ideation, Mm -hmm. and I, I know in my own way, those feelings and experiences of like, all right, that's it. Like I did my best. Um, What was the internal thought process or shift for you that led you from feeling that way to, okay, I'm I'm actually going to ask for help. Yeah. And this, this was, was big for me before I used to think if I put all this on them, then that would be a burden. A lot of people feel that like, oh, I don't want to be a burden. You have your own stuff going on. And that shift happened when I was talking to her and she was listening to me and she was uh, comforting me. You know, so I realized that it's not a burden. Here it is. They need, they want to be there for you, but they can't be there if you never tell them you need someone. And that was really what happened. Like, I was like, you know, they're better off without me. And she just dispelled that whole theory, right? Because uh, I'm going to be honest. You know, I've, I've lost a lot of people in the military through suicide. And I used to think, oh, that is so selfish. Why would you do that? Now your family is left behind. But your thoughts actually confirm what you're thinking in that in that interim, right? You're thinking like, oh, they'll be better off without me. And you don't think about all the, the actual facts that are going on. So once she said that, I started thinking about the actual facts. They love me. All the moments that we've had together, right, where they're smiling and stuff, and I got to experience that. They've never once said anything negative to me. They've never once showed me anything but love. So it was just that conversation that saved me. If I never made that call, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you today. It's amazing. And and it's kind of a, almost feels like a full circle moment. I don't know if you feel this way, but the fact mm-hmm. that, and I don't know if it was the same sister, but your mom and your sister coming to see you it in was. jail and that... <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Even more amazing, right? Like they come to see you when you're in jail. And that was such a profound moment for you because it reflected mm-hmm. something to you and it made you really see what you couldn't see otherwise. And I've had moments like that too. Like that sometimes we, we, can't, we just can't see what we need to see until it's reflected back to us. And that often comes from the people that we love the most or the people that are frustrating us the most. But <laughs> I feel like that's so powerful that it was twice that this was reflected twice. back to you from your family and and really gave you that awareness. And I'd be curious if there was anyone else on your journey where you had anything similar, big or small, or if it was really just family for you that you were able to kind of get those awarenesses from. Like, did you have any good support systems, friend groups, mentors, coaches? Yeah, I mean, along the way, I had so many people. And one of my best friends, well, my best friend, Kyrese, he's been there through the beginning. We met freshman year of high school and been rocking ever since. But he's always been there for me, too. You know, he's someone where you can let your guard down. You know, you need those people where you can just be authentic. There's no judgment. You know, you can burst out in tears. They're just going to be there. And we used to always talk about making it out. Right? We both grew up in, in less than ideal situations. And we just always have these talks. We would dream, right? That was really the only time I would dream was when I was talking to him, right? So we would dream about these things, you know, to this day where where we identify those dreams. We're like, man, remember when we said this? It's actually happening, right? So that he was always uh, there as well. So I just looked to those. And we had um, two other friends, uh, Jaron and Mark, that we used to always hang with. And, you know, we still talk from time to time. And we're like, man, this this is so crazy. Like you said, full circle before, how now we're helping others to try to really avoid what we went through, right? Try to save them before they even experience any of these things. Like they have kids now. I don't have any kids yet, but they're instilling those lessons they learned along their way in their, their kids, right? So it's, it's, that's how it works. Like when you stay and you do not let the story be written for you and you decide to write your own story, that's the power you have. You know, you could take that intuition of all the things you've gone through and apply it and help so many people go through their journey and avoid those pitfalls, right? So now they're ahead of the game, right? They don't have to go through all that because you already have and they're ahead of the game. And that's one of the things I learned from support system is when you have those people along the way, you're learning from each other, right? And then you're in a place where you can also disperse that information and help others. And then it's just a cycle. And that's how, you know, this success can be had by everyone. It's so true. And and I would love, you know, bringing up your friend, I'd love to go back in your journey to where you were mm-hmm. growing up in poverty, you were living a certain life that landed you mm-hmm. in jail and incredible moments of, mm-hmm. you know, putting out that plea to God and having it come through. What was it like for you? I know you said, you know, you got out, you got the two jobs and you were really working to not go back to that life. But what was it like for you to really reorient to yourself as a person? Because I would imagine, you know, and for all of us, different cultures, different, you know, communities we grew up, different lifestyles that we have, Mm -hmm. like we form an identity from a very young age about who we are. And it's very influenced by our ecology, the the people in our life, the the area that we grow up in, the beliefs that we're immersed mm-hmm. in. So what was it like for you to reorient to yourself as a person and to your life as a whole so quickly? Well, it's interesting that you use the word reorient because I was I felt like I was never oriented in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. I felt like I had no direction, no purpose, no anything. So it really was a, an awakening that moment. 
it really was my eyes opening. Like I said, I was just numb to life. I was going through and I seen no joy, right? I would, I would think I felt joy, but I didn't. I didn't have anything that I was just like, yes, I love this, love doing this. You know, I had distractions, but really was, that was the problem that I wasn't oriented. So within me, I didn't know who I was. Uh, so that moment really gave me a chance to sit down and wonder who I wanted to be. Like, really think about that. Like here I am wasting my life. You know, I still was doing well in school, but I just, I didn't feel like there was any options. Like I was just like, it's going to be another statistic, right? I'm going to be another black man with a record, or I'm going to die before 25. You know, all these things you hear, and that's what you hear in the black community, right? Those types of things. And the only people you see make it are athletes and uh, rappers. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's what it was at the time. Now we're starting to see more and more people are, who are successful that look like us. But that representation just... I didn't feel like it was really there. I had to go search. And that reorientation looked like me doing the struggles, like going through the military, just me trying to take action, right? just trying to figure it out. And I started exploring more. I started trusting my intuition more, started trusting my gut more. And that really was the catalyst of it was getting on my knees, praying to God. Right? That was the orientation. He opened my eyes. That's beautiful. I love having conversations with people who have whatever their religion or spirituality, but a relationship with faith. And I would mm -hmm. love to know what your relationship to God and faith was before that moment. Was it strong? Was it sporadic? Was it something that was only there because of family? Like, what was that relationship? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a great question, Stephanie. So I actually grew up Muslim. So, and I went to kind of like Catholic school. I went to a, a Muslim school, Islamic school, where we literally prayed in school for every prayer, right? While we were there and we would fast during Ramadan. We do all these different things. So I had the foundation, but I was really just doing it just because at that moment, just because I was told I had to do it. <laughs> uh, but outside of school, I wasn't, I wasn't with all of that. Right. So I didn't have, I believed in God, but I was like, man, this is just a formality. I'm really yeah. just appeasing everyone who told me I needed to do this. And it wasn't until up that moment that I really started talking to God for me. Well, I really was trying to have a conversation with him. You know, doing any other prayer prior to that moment, I was just there, you know, saying whatever prayer that everyone else was probably saying. You know, I had no meaning behind it. Right? I wasn't feeling it. So that was really is why I feel the way I do about God these days is that moment. And did you have any? This is another part of the conversation about faith that I love to have that I could mm -hmm. have a million times with a million different people is is the belief that when you are faithful and obedient, whatever that means for your spirituality or religion or your God, that. Mm -hmm bad things won't happen to you. And so you had this experience at a young age where you you surrendered to God and you said, you know, this is the deal I'm willing to make. Like, help me out of this. I will be a better person. And then you went mm -hmm. and you did everything the way that you believed you should. And you changed your life and you joined the military. Did your faith ever wobble or waver when the depression came up, when when things got hard? And, and I ask that because, again, the, the conversation that I feel like I've had with a lot of people is we are faithful and obedient and we do everything the way that we believe we should be doing it. And there are people that feel like if I do that, like I should never be tested. Like God mm -hmm. should always come through and, and show up for me. And that means X, Y, and Z. And, and, and that's not faith. So I would love to hear what that looked like for you when things got hard again. 
Yeah, I, I am actually the opposite, right? I, I definitely believe that you're still, you're always going to face adversity. Adversity is a part of life, right? Failure is a part of life. That really is put in place, I believe, as the counterbalance to joy and the counterbalance to ease, because that helps you to be humble. That helps you be grateful for what you have. I think that you need that. Uh, we always talk about adversity builds character. Well, that's why, because you realize all the things you have that are good, you need to be grateful for because they can be taken away like that that is not just a, a thing that's going to happen to everyone i feel like during adversity or during horrible times depression ptsd whatever it is it's not my faith in god that wavers it's my faith in myself that wavers mm-hmm. right do i believe that i can get through this and that's what it's right i'm calling on god for his assistance but it's more so can i do the part for myself. Can I do, can I make it up to the point where he's going to give me those blessings? Right? Because I, I firmly believe that God is waiting on you to come get your blessings, whatever that looks like. You still have to take action. Right? They say faith without works is dead. I believe that. So when I, my belief in myself wavers, it's as if I'm like, all right, can I crawl up into this point till I can walk again? You know, and that's how I look at it. Yeah, that's really powerful. Let's let's talk about mindset since that's such a big part of your journey and what you do. Was there anything in particular that got you on the path? I, I know that you were noticing like the thoughts and the beliefs that you had throughout mm-hmm. your journey and especially with the depression. But was there anything that helped you the most when it came to understanding the power of mindset and also putting practices into place? for yourself. For sure. Great question. You are on fire with these questions, by the way. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So, so really it started in the military, I would say, because I started realizing like where, where am I focusing my attention to? I started like really hearing my thoughts like, oh man, you can't do this. And I'm like, wait a minute. Yes, I can. Like, I'm about to do it. You know, I'm about to show myself. Like, you know, my first, I remember my first uh, physical fitness test. They were like, hey, run two miles, you know, get your pushups in in two minutes, do your sit-ups in two minutes. I'm like, I don't think I've ever run two miles in my life. <laughs> and I got to do this in a certain time. Dang. And that was negative start started coming. I'm like, I'm about to get flagged. I'm about to, not going to make it through the military. All these things are starting to happen. And then I was like, you know what? You got this. And that's when I first started noticing those things and the power of positive thinking. And there's Henry Ford was one of my favorite quotes at that time and still is today is whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Right. So I didn't want to defeat myself. Yeah, it's so powerful. And I didn't want to defeat myself. I was like, nah, I'm about to do this, right? I'm pro so I'm huffing and puffing, you know, going, but I'm like, my body is hurting, but my mind is telling me, yo, you got to do this, right? And that's really the that's that's where I learned the power of the mind. You know, I think of, I don't know if you've read like or heard David Goggins work at all. Oh yeah. Um Can't hurt he me. talks. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. And yeah, and he I talks guess. about that 40%. Like when we want to quit, we're only at like 40% of our ability or capacity right. or threshold. And and I don't know that there's any science behind that. If there is, I must have missed mm-hmm. it. But it's still like I remember at the time, I think I was rereading his book and, and watching mm-hmm. some podcast interviews with him because I needed some mindset motivation. And I think I went for a run and I was so out of shape and like I had a foot injury and everything hurt and I stopped running and I was like, no, 
only 40%. That means I can go more. And even again, like maybe, maybe that stat is from something and maybe it's made up, but mm-hmm. it's like, it didn't matter. It was that I chose to believe that I could do more. And right. that obviously spills over into so much more. Like you're talking about running in the military. I'm talking about running now, but I have practiced that myself. And I'm sure you have too, like with areas in my life that are hard and I want to quit and I want to give up. And I don't think that I have it in me. I would use that same thing. of just like, I'm only at a small percentage of what I'm capable of. And if that's true, I can actually keep doing this and pushing myself further. And so I would love to hear, you know, I love that Henry Ford quote as well. Was there anything else that or anything that you any mantras that you say to yourself or any practices that you have or or habits to help you keep yourself in the mindset that you want to be in? For sure. And it comes really at it to a head mostly when I don't want to do something, right? When I don't feel like doing something, I always ask myself, why? Why did I want to do this in the first place? What am I trying to achieve or accomplish? What are the goals? What's the, the pros and the cons of me not doing this specific step right here? You know, what does that lead to? And that's one of the things I do because it's really about perspective, right? It's about perspective. And I always say that I get to do these things. I don't have to do them. No, I, I really don't. I don't have to do them, but what's the counter action to that? Or what's the, the consequence of me not doing them? Right? And that's how I have to look at it. Because there's plenty of things in life you're going to just not want to do. You have no passion for it at all. You have really no purpose. And you know, a lot of people procrastinate in those times uh, because they don't want to do it. They avoid it. But I'm like, I get to do this because it moves me forward to X. So I'm, I'm a firm believer in the five Y principle. So you ask yourself why? five times. And that's how you get to your deepest root of the issue or the reason why. So that's what I do when I start questioning myself, like, man, I don't want to do this. I don't feel like writing this paper. Whatever the case may be, I say, why did you start this in the first place? How did I get here? Why? 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 And then finally, you just drill down. That's the same thing I did with coaching. Like, why do I want to coach people? You know, why do I feel like that's going to be beneficial? You know, all these questions. I love that so much. I have, we have dubbed it the but why game that I play (laughs) with Ah, friends and clients. And it's the same thing. And and sometimes I'm actually intentionally trying to agitate you. Like I want you to get pissed off sometimes because then you're really rooted into what matters to you and why you care about something. And from that place, you can really make amazing things happen. Right. And you have to do it from a point of introspection. You can't do it from a point of external sources, right? You have to look at why you want to do it, not why someone else wants you to do it. Totally. Let's talk a little bit about the depression piece again. And and only because mm-hmm. I know mindset was a big part of that and getting a therapist. And, and I, I want to just say for anyone listening, because I know that therapy is one of those, not as much anymore, but taboo topics. Like you don't tell people you're in therapy, <laughs> therapy right. and coaches. But I had a year and a half where I went to therapy weekly after a traumatic loss and an abusive relationship. And mm-hmm. it was incredible for me. But I would, I would love to hear from you besides therapy, besides the mindset work, was there anything else that really helped you with your depression? You know, that reconnection with God definitely was uh, a huge help because I knew that it was temporary. I knew that it wasn't a permanent situation. And actually that that's another part, like your perception. When you look at pain or adversity as permanent, you can't see option. You can't see a way out because you think it's always going to be there. But I started looking at, at depression and PTSD and all those things. I'm like, hey, I feel this coming on. I know it's going to pass. And I'm going to do whatever I can to help it get out my life, right? So I just, that's how I look at it. And I also started realizing that I needed to give myself more grace. Here I am just pushing, pushing, pushing. And even after I learned the principle, it's still hard for me sometimes to just chill and take that 
take that break because you want to do so much in your life and you don't really know how much time you have to do it. But I realized that if I really want legacy and longevity on this earth, that it's very important to slow down, check in with yourself and see like, okay, how am I truly feeling? I'm not just going to tell myself I'm fine anymore. So I want to really check in with myself. And that's that's been key for me to understand like, hey, I need to set boundaries with myself too. to say you're not going to keep pushing. Maybe you do one thing and then just call it a day until you get better. So you can really be in the best space. It's really about operating from a full cup. We hear it all the time, right? Pour with overflow. And that's really been a key principle in my life. That's what I live by. Pour with overflow. The moment I start feeling like I'm depleted, I'm fatigued, I'll take a step back. I will literally set those bars be like, hey, I got to move this coaching call. I got to move this interview, whatever it is, because none of that is as important as my health. Because if the health goes, everything else goes. So true. Yeah. Physical and mental, emotional health. I, I've, mm-hmm. I've had to learn to do the same thing. I actually developed dysphagia because I had such from the trauma and the anxiety and the stress, like I was overextending myself and being everything to everyone and, and literally swallowing my truth so much that I stopped physically being able to swallow. And since then, wow. it has been it's still like a cue for me, like my throat will tighten when I'm doing something that isn't aligned. But I've gotten so much better about those same boundaries. Boundaries. Like it doesn't mean that I'm flaky, but if I know that like I, I don't have any to give, like I will cancel the interview, I will cancel the meeting, I will move things around because nothing is worth not swallowing over and nothing is worth yeah. dying over. And and that's what we set right. ourselves up for. We don't think that's what's happening. We think, well, we're just busy, we're just stressed, like it'll slow down. It's like, no, you are literally chipping away at your health. Yes. And that that is so true and so powerful on so many levels. I think about the book The Body Keeps the Score. Yes. Where he talks about how, you know, your traumatic experiences, how your your emotions, how all those things are manifested in physical. So that's why you have to also pay attention to yourself. You know, when you're getting upset, you might have a trigger, right? You start feeling your palms in, some people sweat, some people tear up. And you have to really pay attention to yourself on all aspects. So like even in my program, I talk about the triad, right? The health triad. And that's the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. Once you're centered on all those things, you can focus. Once the moment something is off kilter, you need to realign. It's just like a car, right? When you're driving, you'll notice your car starts moving a little to the left, moving to the right. You let the wheel go and do whatever it wants. And if you don't fix that thing, now other stuff starts breaking down. You don't get as good as gas mileage. That's how your life is. That's how you are, right? You have to realign and take that time. You got to get checkups, right? You got to check with yourself on all aspects. And that's how I look at it. Yeah. That's a really perfect metaphor, (laughs) analogy, whatever it is (laughs) for exactly what happens. Let's talk a little bit about, so um, a big focus of this show is obviously purpose and Mm -hmm. the challenging chapters and big life transitions that we go through and how they shape us into the person that we are and the work that we do. And I know that you had your experiences with mindset work and healing and growth and and navigating spirituality and all of that. But how did you go from doing your own personal work to realizing this is what I want to do. And then actually going out and building your business. Sure. Great question. So I actually started looking at motivational speaking. People were always telling me like, yeah, you're really good at motivating me, man. I feel fired up, right? Especially in the military, because you got to give these speeches, get your troops all round up for the mission, you know, whatever it is. And like, I found that to be invigorating. Like I felt great when just giving a speech, I felt good. Or even football, I used to play football too. And that always was my thing. Like they'd be like, yo, Javon, give a speech, man. Hype yourself, hype yourself. And that was always the thing. And I'm like, yo, that is fun. 
right? But then I was like, motivational speaking is cool, but I don't necessarily want to be on the stage all the time. Of course, I didn't know everything about what motivational speaking entailed, but that's how I looked at it. So I was like, what else can I do, right? What else can I do to take the lessons I've learned throughout life to apply it to everyone else? And I found coaching. It just found me, really, because I was in Afghanistan when I started looking for this stuff. I was just sitting in the office one day and I was like, man, you know, this ain't it. <laughs> this is not what I want to be doing anymore. Uh, <laughs> you know, at the time I had no soldiers under me and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I was got tired of getting mortared all the time and all these other things. So I was like, you know what? I need to find something that really speaks to me. Now I'm cybersecurity IT by trade. And that started losing this luster for me as well. Like I started being like, what's the point of this? Right? When you find your purpose, you want everything to have a purpose that you're yeah. doing, including your <laughs> career, right? So, so I was like, what's the point in this? And I couldn't find it. I was like, I'm helping a corporation or a company protect their assets, but I want to do more. That's cool and all. It's fun, but I want to do more. And this, this came up, you know, live not loathe came up and spoke to me. And the reason why I named the company that was exactly the transformation that it represents. Loathing life. A lot of people self-loathe. They loathe life. So they're just going through it like I was doing when I was younger. So I know the feeling. I know the feeling of being hopeless, helpless, and just having no joy. So I want to make people have that paradigm shift in life and mind and everything and start living truly. Like start getting that joy in your life, doing things that makes you happy, taking care of yourself, looking at the power you truly have. Not just a cliche. Like you literally are one of one. There's no one else like you, even if you have an identical twin. You still execute in different ways. You implement in different ways, have different ideas. So utilize that, leverage that. That's your power. That's what made me start this journey. I realized it once I was going through it. And when I really seen that aha moment in the sky open up from the storm to the blue sky, it's like, I got to do this for more people. I got to help. I have to say that I love the name of your business. And even the first time I saw it, I was like, wow, that's really descriptive and it's really perfect. And I've heard obviously of self-loathing and loathing. And I I understand the term, but I've never seen anyone use it in relation (laughs) to coaching work. And I was like, it's very accurate of how it feels. Like I remember low self-worth, depression, like not having any direction or purpose in life, in bad relationships, Mm -hmm. all the things. And it's just like loathing is a perfect word for how I felt about myself, about life, about everyone. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, exactly. So when you go through it, you like look at it, you like, because a lot of people are like, I've never heard the word loathe. Like, what is that? <laughs> and that's what I want. I want that awareness. I want people to question like, what the heck is loathe? Right. To yeah. look it up and be like, okay, now that's how I'm feeling. So then they can, they can understand that, that journey that it's yeah. going to take. It's not going to be easy, but right? you've been feeling this for how long? Right. So it's not going to be easy. So once you hit that point where you're tired of feeling that way and you're ready to live, that's when we can work. So that's how I looked at it. Absolutely. And you hit on something really important around purpose that I want to touch on, mm-hmm. which is there is somebody who and, and what was the work called again? The IT work you were doing? Security? Oh, cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. So there's somebody that cybersecurity for the military is like, their calling, right? Like that is what they were put here to do. And they will absolutely love doing it. And I think what you highlighted is how there's nothing wrong with realizing that what you're doing is not your purpose work. You're not saying that it's not purposeful work. It's just not Mm -hmm. yours. And I had a very similar thing. I went to school for graphic design. And so I was working design firms doing branding. And I had started a design business with my then boyfriend back in 2008. And I remember realizing this isn't my calling. This is a skill 
still, this is work I went to school for. I've been doing it for, I have a business, but it's not why I'm here. And there was a lot of, for me, confusion and frustration because I had spent, thankfully, not a ton of time. I think it was at that time, like five years, maybe or six with mm-hmm. college, but like I went to school for it and I had built this career around it and I was building this business and it was like, it was difficult to wrap my head around the idea that I had been doing the wrong thing. And I did something similar that it sounds like you did where it was like, but I am helping people, right? Like I had this, I could tell, I want to help people. I want to do more in the world. Right. And other people and my internal monologue was very much like, but you are like, just work with nonprofits, mm. just like you are. And it's like, no, you have to claim what's true for you. And so I would love to know because you had put time in in the military for sure and for sure did you have any internal struggle with that yeah, yeah, for sure. I felt like you, right? I was going through, I went to school, got my master's in cybersecurity, all these things, you know, doing doing the work. And at one point, I felt great doing it, right? But then sometimes you just get to that point where you're like, okay, I'm done, right? I'm done with this. This was fun. This was great. It's opened me up to fantastic opportunities, but I want more now. And there's nothing wrong with that. I had that that thing like, man, I put all this money and time into getting this education. Like I did it when I was in the military and doing it in the civilian world. Like I feel like I'm good at it. It is making me good money. You know, I'm able to support my family, do all these things. But that still wasn't it. <laughs> so that's the internal things. Like if I if I step out, right, can I still do all these things? Or is it going to be like I step out and I'm going to be struggling for life? And that was what my internal thing was like, well, I want to do this, but does it provide me with the life mm-hmm. I actually want? And it turns out that I'm able to, to do both. <laughs> like you don't always have to have either or every time. Maybe you are doing that while you're building up this thing. And that's how I looked at it. I was like, I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to build up, help the cybersecurity fund my dream. Right. And I'm going to, it's not that bad for me. Some people are in dire situations where they have to get out right then and there, but that wasn't it for me. I was just like, I don't have to make this giant leap and join the great resignation. I can do them at the same time and just make sure I'm, I'm focusing on this where I'm not terrible at it and I'm just letting my job fall, but I can also be energized and help other people in the process until live not low becomes the household name that I'm hoping it becomes. I have found that some of my skills that I, that made me great at design and branding have actually transferred over and are something that make me great as a coach and in this work yes. that I do now. And have you found, cause it, it doesn't seem like there would be anything that translates from cybersecurity, but I have found for a lot of people that there's things you wouldn't expect that are transferable skills. And I would just love to know if that's been the case for you at all. For sure. And one of the most important skills is the analytical aspect of cybersecurity, right? Really looking not at the surface of how things look, but looking at the deeper things, like what's not being said or what's not being shown, you know, and that's how it works for coaching because, you know, someone says something on the surface, but you're looking at how they enter their energy. If you're on screen, maybe you're looking at their body language, you know, you're seeing what's not being said and that really translates well for me. And then the ability to be patient. Right. Listening, because in cybersecurity, your thing is not going to happen overnight. Right? It's going it's to be a process, going to be a lot of research, a lot of all this other work that goes into it before you actually make your move. And that's how it is in coaching as well. Like you're learning people. It may take a little while for them to open up for you so they can actually start doing the 
the work do you have in store for them um, and start seeing, you know, those aha moments and all those things. So it's really, that's another skill. I think there's a ton. Like <laughs> the, the curiosity is probably my favorite Like because you have to be curious in cyber. And that's not so much a skill, but it's a trait. Just using that to see what's more like, you know, why is that important for you? Asking those powerful questions. That's how you really build whatever you're doing in cyber. I'm an architect by trade. So when I look at how a system is going to integrate with our, our uh, systems or our infrastructure, I'm going to say, how can that be broken? One, I'm going to say, why is this important? You know, what what can attackers do? You know, all those things. So you just reverse engineering. And that's the same way those powerful questions work in coaching. Reverse engineering the pain points so you can get to the joy joyful points in someone's life. And that's really what it is. And then you figure out like what exercises work for them, what would be uh, meaningful for them, what aligns with this person. So all those things that I've taken from cyber has really allowed me to be a, a great coach. I love that. That's so awesome. Yeah. What is something that you would say to somebody who is maybe venturing down the wrong path? And that could be either lifestyle choices or it could be they're on the wrong career path or it could be like their mindset is just not supporting them at all. What right. is a piece or pieces of advice that you would want to give to them? Well, one of the things I, I would give to them is what do you want out of your life? Ask yourself, what do you truly want? Set some distal goals or long-term goals. And they don't have to be super specific, right? I'm talking about lifelong that you can achieve. Like for instance, I want to be healthy. I want to live a healthy life, right? Set that goal first and then see if what you're doing is aligning with that, right? Does that help you achieve this goal? If not, now you have some work to do. Now you can reverse engineer that big goal, that long-term goal and start creating some shorter term goals. You know, a lot of people have issues doing long-term goals because they that big picture scares them. So short-term goals would be very helpful, like just reverse engineer that big goal and make it a, a goal that you can measure that's very specific, that you can do within a short term, maybe under a year, and then start building out your plan. And then take inventory of your strengths. Like, you know, there's some strengths to finder test, all those other things, but literally you can do it on your own. Write down what you think you're good at. Also write down what you would like to be good at or some things that energize you. Write those things down. Now see how much you do, time are you putting towards those things. Maybe you do uh, what I what I like to do with my clients is just finding your ikage. That's like a Japanese term. It's really finding your purpose, right? And it's an exercise where you you talk about like what am I good at? What do I enjoy? You know, what's my purpose? What can I get paid for? What does the world need? All these things. And then in the center, that's that's where everything aligns. That's really what you want to do. What you can do. So that could be your thing that you shift your focus to start putting your energy towards. So there's so many things you can do, but you have to slow down. You have to realize that, you know, just going, 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 be, being busy, it really doesn't serve you. You have to be purposeful, right? You have to make sure you're working towards something. You have a reason why you're doing these things or else you're going to feel lost and being lost can be a dangerous place, right? It's like floating in the middle of the ocean and not knowing which what's up and down. So you really have to find that direction, have that goal, make sure everything you're doing is aligning with who you want to be. So important. That's where I feel like my background in branding and design and brand strategy has helped me is that like consistency and inconsistency. Like, is it aligned For with sure. the, sure. the thing that you say you want? What are some things that you do at this point in your journey to really help your yourself, whether it be the mindset stuff or to, you know, and I don't know if this is true for you. I know for me, the depression piece, like I've had depression on and off my whole life. And so it's mm -hmm. something that's mm -hmm. always there in the sense that right. it's, it's right. easy for me to, to fall prey to it. 
if I'm not careful. And so I'm very vigilant about like what I put in my body and my mindset mm-hmm. and who I surround myself with and, and how I take care of my mental health and how I keep growing. And so I would love to know what you do at this stage in your journey for your mental health and your overall just happiness and well-being. Yes. And first, I want to commend you for going and making sure you're doing everything you need to do for you. And I also think it's so awesome that you did branding and strategy because now you know what to do for your own business. (laughs) Right. Getting yourself up. You know, that is a fantastic skill to have, especially now. (laughs) But uh, so so one of the things I've identified was a, a solid routine. I call it my power hour for my morning. And that's exercising, you know, uh, that's educating myself, that's hydrating myself, that's taking some time for just me before everything else starts. It's going for a walk, you know, spending some time with nature, my dogs. I love dogs. I have two of them. And just making sure, like you said, putting the right stuff in your body, making sure you're spending time with your loved ones, having those conversations, having some downtime. Those are some of the things I do because I know when, when my depression hits, I also have to stay in tune with that to say, okay, how, how am I feeling? Like, is this a depression where I'm good? Like I can still go because it feels different sometimes. Or is this depression? I need to just sit down. Uh, maybe I write. Uh, maybe I'll just read a book or maybe I'll just do nothing. And I have to make sure I'm I'm checking in like that. And then I ask myself some questions like, because I always say when I wake up and I feel it or it starts to come on, I say, you're not going to beat me. <laughs> I talk to it. I say, you're not going to win. I, I put a persona on it because that helps me to address it. It's like the empty, empty chair exercise, right? When you put a chair across when you're talking to maybe someone who's hurt you in the past or whatever, I talk to my depression. I let it know that I'm going to win. Right? No matter what it tries to do, no matter how I feel, I'm always going to come out on top because it's temporary, right? It's temporary. As long as I'm doing what I need to do, I'm going to do my part and God will handle the rest. And that's how I look at it process work and parts work. And I know there's different like labels for that type mm-hmm. of work, the empty chair exercise. But I, I love that you do that with your depression. Like that's such a yeah. powerful way to engage with it. And I don't, I don't do anything like that. I think the way that I do it is more like I, I understand that it's a part of me and I kind of interact with it in a very specific way, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's different. But I, I, I love that. I might have to try that. Try it out. Try it out. Yeah, because, you you know, you just, again, we're exploring, you know, some things because, you know, you have like a toolkit. You learn, you pick up a toolkit for these types of things to help with your mental health. And especially if you have a mental illness, you identify some things along the journey that really work for you. But sometimes the, all those things don't work. So you may try something different. And that's how I look at it. Like, you know, it's a way to explore myself, too. Right. It's a part of me. Like you said, it's a part of us. But it's also a way for us to get to know ourselves in a better way. And that's how I look at it. Like, okay, why was there a trigger? Right. I'm asking myself certain questions, just self-coaching. Was there something that happened that took place maybe just recently or the day before, whatever it is? Did I eat something different? Is there a common theme? Did I drink or whatever the case may be? You know, that's what I'm asking myself those questions so I can identify if it's something that took place or if it's just that feeling. Maybe it's just a chemical imbalance happening. Uh, So that's another thing I like to do. So powerful. I'm having so much fun talking to you. I hate to bring the conversation to a close. We're going to link to all your amazingness down below. I feel like I should have you back for some other type of conversation soon. Um, I've been thinking about starting a second podcast that's less about the story and more about like the, the lessons and the teaching. So I will definitely... Definitely have you back for that. But I would love, we're going to link to everything in the show notes, but please tell people where they can find you, how they can learn from you and how they can work with you. Sure. So if you search any social media and that's 
TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just look up Live Not Loathe. That's L-I-V-E-N-O-T-L-O-A-T-H-E. Or you can go to my website, livenotloathe.com. You can purchase this, this shirt. You can purchase my books. Uh, you can book coaching calls with me. I am going to be all over the place. That's the point, uh, to be omnipresent so we can get these messages out. Perfect. Are you dancing over on TikTok? Hey, no dancing. <laughs> you will not see the dances. Uh, <laughs> you might see a two-step or something like that, but that's about it. <laughs> I have not gotten on the dancing trend either. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> that is not my forte, you know. <laughs> I'm all about a two-step. <laughs> Well, Javon, thank you so much for being here and for sharing all of your journey and all of your wisdom and everything that you've learned. I hope that everyone goes and checks you out. Like you just were full of so much wisdom and so many great resources and just ways to reframe and think about things differently, which I know you're all about mindset. So that's really awesome. But thank you again so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me on, Stephanie. You are amazing. Keep doing this powerful work that you're doing. Keep ascending. Thank you so much for joining us today and for being a part of this powerful community of purpose-driven individuals. We have a ton of free resources for you at www.talesfromthejourney.tv free, including access to my signature process for how to make the impossible happen, packaged in a simple, easy-to-follow workbook that you can implement immediately. Whether you're trying to heal in the aftermath of a challenging chapter, working to uncover your purpose, or going after anything else that feels impossible, you'll learn how to take an entirely different kind of action that goes against much of what you've been taught about manifestation and goal achievement. We'd love your help in getting the message out and growing our community. So please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. 